Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It is uh, good to see all of you. Thank you for braving the difficulty of parking and still joining us this morning. It's obviously an unusual morning, but it is good to be together celebrating, as we already have, the refuge that we have in God. And uh, before we do that any further, as is our custom, would you please join with me in prayer? Lord, even now we... In some ways, we continue to sit in the prayer that we have sung and prayed, calling to you as our Father uh, for your mercy. And we pray knowing already that you are merciful, that you are gracious, that you invite us to take refuge in you. And so I pray even now, we pray even now, that as we hear your word, which is promising something we so need to hear, that you would reassure our hearts and our souls that we might be freed from fear and have deeper and deeper confidence in you through Christ Jesus our Lord in whose name we pray amen well my guess is you have seen uh, this commer the commercial I'm about to talk about have you seen the one that's mayhem commercial in Allstate where you've got this kind of creepy looking guy who always impersonates something so you've got the, probably one of the first ones I remember he says you know I'm a random windstorm and he's standing on this long branch over a car and he starts jumping on it shaky 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 I hope I'm not the only one who's seen this, so I'm really making a fool of myself. Another time, he's like at a, you know, he's uh, by his dryer, and he says, I'm dryer lint, he says as he opens the dryer. I might smell like a spring breeze, but I'll burn your house down. 
Or there's another one where he's just kind of like lying down in the attic and his eyes are kind of painted black. It says, I'm a raccoon and this time in your attic has been the best time of my raccoon life. And then every, every of these commercials, uh, which again is for insurance, um, kind of concludes with these words, mayhem is everywhere. And they kind of work, I think, these commercials. I think there's a reason that they keep on getting repeated again and again every time I'm watching TV, which isn't that much unless, you know, the Patriots play. Every time I watch it, I see these commercials. Mayhem is everywhere. It, it taps into to something that we feel, doesn't it? That, that much of life just kind of goes along normal, but then we know out of the blue, you know, we might be playing basketball and get, you know, a sprained ankle, or we might get into an accident, or we might find other things happen. There's this looming sense that just something around the corner could, could hurt us. And so deep down we feel that, that insecurity it makes us desire to buy insurance. Well, viewed from the angle of, of this, this psalm that we have just read is way ahead of its time. Because it also is essentially telling us that mayhem is everywhere. Perhaps you noticed as Jennifer was reading through it, there's arrows that are flying at daytime. There's disease that comes. There's warfare. There's, there's snakes and lions. There's the ability of tripping. Mayhem is everywhere. And yet, what we have in the psalm is a promise far greater than anything that all state can offer. It's the promise that God and God alone can offer. What this psalm is telling us is that if we take our refuge in God, we are absolutely secure. That's the thesis that we see right at the very beginning. In some ways, that first sentence states what this whole psalm is about when it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And by the way, I invite you to keep your bulletins or your Bibles open because I'm just going to be working through this passage. It'll be easier for you if you see it in front of you. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, this, this idea of dwelling is kind of unpacked for us in the next verse. When he says, I am going to say to God, you are my refuge, you are my fortress. That's the one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. You know, fortress is not a word that has a whole lot of resonance to us, but in that day in the ancient Near East, if you were living in the countryside, as many would, you were not protected if a major storm came or if enemy soldiers came and when you heard word of these things, you would flee to the closest fortress where you could be kept safe by stone walls and, and archers on the, on the gates. Let me ask you, when, where do you turn for safety and for refuge? When you find yourself in a time where experiencing threat, or anxiety, or pain? What do you do? Where do you go? Maybe for you, it's a time of needing vacation. So you find this lake spot, and that's your refuge. Or, or maybe for you, when you are feeling overwhelmed, escape is the most natural thing. So it's Netflix binging. Sometimes even addictions are the reason that we, that's where we go to for refuge. Maybe it's busyness. If you can just keep working, that's your refuge. Or maybe family is where refuge is. These things, many of them are good. 
But our psalm is, is basically telling us those are not your fortress. They are inadequate. There is one fortress that you can turn to, and that is God Almighty himself. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The Almighty, that is the one who rules over everything. If you find refuge in God, he who controls the whole world is your fortress. That's what this psalm is about. It says you will be secure if you find refuge in God. And the structure is kind of a, an A-B-C-B-A structure. I know that means nothing. But it's the idea of this kind of mirror. It's very carefully structured. So at the very beginning, part A, verses 1 and 2, is the promise. And then verses 3 and 4, part B, is a description of how God protects you. And then parts 5 through 10, that's the very middle, you know, we could say it's part C, is a description of the posture of security that we might have. Then it goes back to protection and then the promise. So it's promise, protection, posture of security, back to promise. Sorry, back to protection, back to promise. It's kind of mirror structure. We've already kind of named this promise that we have that we can be secure if we say to God, you are my refuge. And I want to return to that later on. But for right now, I want to just consider these verses that describes the way that God protects us. And there's two images that are used. The first one is an image of a bird. Verse 3, that is that we are a bird. Verse 3 tells us that God will rescue us from the fowler's snare. Now, I don't know what a fowler's snare looks like. At least I didn't until this week. So, you know, I did what any wise person does and I googled it. And, and it's, it's really simple. A snare for a fowler to trap a bird is just a, a rope or a string that's usually anchored to a rock or a tree. And it has like a slip knot on it. And the idea is if you put it kind of and hide it and put it near some berries, then when a bird comes and puts his feet in that and then just kind of quick moves away, suddenly it is trapped. It is caught by the feet and it is utterly terrified. And the psalm tells us you and I get caught in the fowler's snare. Have you ever had a situation where you find that you are in a no-win scenario? Maybe it's because you made a dumb choice or, or said something really foolish. Or maybe it was through no fault of your own, but right now it seems like anything that you could do is a bad option. It will hurt someone else. It will hurt you. That is being in the fowler's snare. We get in that, but God says, that, but we're promised here, God, when we are caught in the fowler's snare, comes and he rescues us, and he removes us from this trap. I remember hearing a story about Dallas Theological Seminary. Perhaps you're familiar with it. It's a place that's trained many pastors over the last decades. But early on, it was in a place of real financial difficulty. And with about a few weeks before the end of the year, they were trying to decide whether they needed to close down because they were going to go bankrupt if they kept going. It was it was a terrible scenario for them because they wanted to keep training and equipping pastors, so they didn't want to shut down. But if they kept going, they would be running out of money. They were in the fowler's snare. And as, as people retell the story, there's this one point in these few weeks before where, where three different people at five in the morning on a Saturday morning just found themselves being woken up and feel, felt called to pray. 
They only found out after when they talked with each other that this had all happened at the same time. It was the president of the seminary, a pastor closely connected to the seminary, and a donor. A couple weeks passed and you have the, 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 the teachers in a time of prayer at the seminary and there's a knock on the door and delivered is this government bond for the equivalent of $150,000. Out of nowhere, it seems. There was a snare that they were in, but God delivered his people from the Fowler's snare. And that's the promise here. He will deliver you from the Fowler's snare because our God protects us. We have another image related to Bird right after about how he will cover you with his pinions, which again, I had to look up. That's just the feathers on a wing. He will cover you with his pinions. He will give refuge in the shadow of his wing. If you do Google this, which I did, about how birds in the shadows of a wing, there are some pictures that for me helped understand what was going on. That you saw like, you know, this goose. It's a really cute picture, actually. This goose, and there's this little gosling's head just kind of peeking its head out of the wing. It's almost completely covered by the mother's wing. And the mother does that when there's a time of storm or a time of great cold because, of course, this gosling is too fragile. It can't handle on its own, so it's being shielded by one who is stronger and greater than it. The promise here is that God does that for us. Now, when we are in a time of trouble, and notice the implication here, because the shielding is in the midst of storm, is that we will find ourselves, of course, in storms and trouble. But the prom- promise is when we are in those moments, God shields and he protects us and he draws us near to himself. You know, sometimes we can actually look back at times where we have faced real trials. Not always. Sometimes, you know, their trials are so complicated and confusing that we, we can't make sense of them. But, but there are some times that we look back, especially with distance, and we can see moments that God clearly was there, ways that he provided just the right word or gave us a sense of peace and closeness to him. That's him bringing us under the shadow of his wing because he is our protector. Well, if we move from the image of bird, there's another dominant image that's in that second section describing protection in verses 11 through 13, and that's the image of a journey. This is a common description in the Bible about how life is like one long journey where we are setting forward towards a goal. And, and, and this journey is a journey that's fraught with difficulties because you could trip, you could fall off the edge if you're along a cliff, there can be wild animals, mayhem is everywhere, but, but we're told you don't need to be afraid. And the reason specifically here is because of God's angels. Verses 11 and 12, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. God protects us along our journey with angels. Angels is not something we talk a whole lot about, is it? I think that's partly in reaction to how culture has really sentimentalized angels. I mean, if you notice, whenever an angel appears in the Bible, the first thing that they have to say is, do not be afraid. Whereas I feel like our vision of angels are kind of more like if we saw them, the first thing we would say is, isn't that adorable? It's just a complete contrast where it's all about wings and precious moments. And that's not how it is in the Bible. Now, a part of the reason that we don't talk too much, I think, about it 
is because the Bible leaves it kind of mysterious. We don't know all that is involved with angels. There's, they're mentioned, but they're not described a whole lot. But the Bible is clear that angels are real. They are spiritual creatures who praise God night and day and do his bidding. And his bidding is he sends them to take care of his people. We're told in scripture about how the angels actually watch us. We're told that angels rejoice whenever someone turns to Christ. They are paying attention. Ephesians 3 says that when they watch the church, they see God's wisdom as people are changed and transformed. They're watching. And not only are these angels watching, but they get involved. God sends them to enable the church to move forward. Maybe you remember when we studied the the book of Acts, how there are these moments when, when God's missionaries, like Peter and Paul, are imprisoned, and an angel comes in and confuses them because they don't know what's going on and breaks them out of prison. One of my favorite stories of angels is in the Old Testament. Perhaps you might remember Elisha, this prophet, and his servant are surrounded by an enemy army. And the servant is terrified. And Elisha says something to the servant that must have confused him when he said, Don't worry, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. How confusing that must have been to the servant. But then Elisha prays. And the servant's eyes are opened, and he realizes surrounding the enemy army is an even larger and far more terrifying, fiery army of angels. God has sent his servants to protect his people. Now we hear stories like that, we say, yes, we know, for the really important people like Paul and Peter and Elisha, sure, but but that's not us. Except here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, don't even despise the little ones, the children, because their angels see the face of the Father in heaven. So even the youngest and most insignificant angels are watching over. And then we see this verse right here, don't we? He says, God commands his angels to guard you in all of your ways. Now just think of that, all of your ways, when you are waking up and making coffee, when you are driving to work, when you are involving yourself in a difficult conversation, when you are just doing whatever you do, God's angels are there guarding all your ways. Now, this is kind of hard for us to get our minds around. It's so foreign to us. And sometimes the question is asked, so... I'm not even sure why we have angels. I mean, God is already in control. Why does he need to send his servants to protect us? And and the theologian John Calvin actually asked this very question because it's a good question. He says, here's what I think it means. That God knows he doesn't need it. I mean, God can do everything without anyone's help. But God knows that we have a weak faith. And it's hard for us to get our minds around the idea that one all-powerful, all-strong being, God himself, protects us. And there's something that strengthens our faith that when we realize that it's not just God, but this whole army of spiritual beings who are working to protect us. So that we can actually say rightly that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And here we see it's not just in dramatic circumstances like when an army is surrounding us, but 
Verse 12 says sometimes the way that angels can be involved in protecting and caring for us can be really subtle. Verse 12, on their hands they will lift you up so that you don't strike your foot against a stone. Now my guess is in that situation when a person's walking, they probably wouldn't even notice that their foot moves just a little bit. and just happens not to trip. And it implies that angels oftentimes as they are working, as doing God's bidding, can be working in ways that we don't even see and we don't even know. Which makes me wonder as I think back on my life and think about, for example, when I was a teenager and driving, and driving stupidly, or when I made some pretty big mistakes in my arrogance, or even when I was in difficult situations, might it have been that there were things that I could have done that I didn't do, that there were just slight changes in how I behaved or things that I didn't even see where God through his angels was protecting me. Because that's the promise here that not only is God present, not only does he rescue us when we are stuck, not only does he cover us with his wing and and give us security, but he even sends his, his mighty army of angels to protect and care for us. Do you see what this is all saying? If you take refuge in God, you are protected by the Almighty. And that means you don't need to fear. That's where we get the very middle in verses 5 through 10, this posture of security. I mean, verse 5 says it explicitly, you will not fear. Can you imagine what it would be like to live without fear. Now by this, I'm not talking about just the lack of ability to have fear. That actually happens, by the way. I was listening to a podcast recently where there was someone who, because of just certain circumstances, lacked the ability in their brain to feel any fear, which was actually a dangerous thing. One time she was held up and she just didn't respond fearfully where she kind of needed to. Thankfully, she didn't get hurt. But I'm not talking about the inability to recognize threat. I'm talking about not being enslaved, not having our lives run by our fear. Because think of just how much fear shapes you. Fear is what keeps you up at night when you're anxious. Fear is what keeps you sometimes from trying something new because you're afraid to fail or from reaching out to certain people because you're afraid to be rejected. Fear is what causes us to procrastinate. We, we, we don't know if we can do the task that's set before us. We feel overwhelmed by it, so we do everything else instead. It's fear. And fear is oftentimes what keeps us from being able to get close. When we struggle in marriage and in relationships that are close to us, so often the anger and the defense mechanisms are because of our insecurity, because of fear. But imagine what it would be like to not be directed by fear. And verse 5 says, When you make God your refuge, you will not 
fear, meaning you won't ever need to fear. And we see this kind of, this comprehensive list. Verse 5 speaks of the things that you don't need to fear, those hidden surprising dangers like an arrow that flies by day or the disease that just kind of hits you by night. Things that have no warning, they just come. You don't need to be afraid of the, of the car accident or, or the other things, the mayhem that just kind of happens. You don't need to be afraid of those things. And likewise, you don't need to be afraid of those things that you can see. When people everywhere around you are dropping like flies or when you feel like your country is falling apart, you don't need to be afraid. And some, if you take refuge in God, you don't need to fear any evil at all. Verses 9 and 10, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. You don't need to fear anything. Now we have to, at this point, address the question that I'm sure is very much nagging many of us. And that is, this is a beautiful psalm, and one that's very encouraging, but it's hard for us to trust in it to a certain degree, isn't it? Because it feels like it says too much. I mean, no evil will touch you. We feel like we know people who have taken refuge in God where evil has befallen them. We've experienced it ourselves. I mean, and we know people are even martyred for the faith. So what can this possibly mean? Because we know hard and difficult things happen to those who are faithful. So that's an important question to ask, because if we want to really rest in this, we can't get confused and bewildered and assume that what this is promising us is a life of comfort and ease by our own standards. And that last phrase is the important one, by our own standards. This is not a promise that God will give you the comfortable life that you want that the security will be derived from you being able to live the way that you want to. There is not this idea that God is your personal security assistant and so that whenever there's a threat, you can ask him and he'll take care of it and you can walk through life in ease. That's not what is being depicted here. In fact, a version of this is involved in the temptation of Christ when Satan tempts Jesus. A version where it's not saying, I'm going to take my refuge in God and entrust myself to him, but I'm going to see God as the one who I get to be the one who demands this is what comfort looks like. You might remember in the three temptations of Jesus, one of them is Satan takes Jesus to the very top of the temple. Do you remember this part? And, and Satan says, throw yourself off. And then he quotes the Bible for why Satan should do this. And he quotes, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Does that sound familiar to you? He's quoting Psalm 91. And he's basically misapplying it, saying, hey, God promises that in all ways he will deliver you, so just throw yourself off the temple and God has to do it. Jesus says, no, that's not the way it works. He says, you shall not tempt, test the Lord your God. And by that, he's saying, we don't get to decide the terms on which God protects us. It's still a matter of us trusting and God being the one in control. 
And to be honest, that makes this a bit more of a difficult psalm for us to be able to fully embrace because part of what it means to embrace God as our refuge is to allow God to determine what he will bring us through. And sometimes what he believes is for our good and what he believes is for our safety feels the very opposite of what is safe in our eyes. I mean, look at what actually is being described and promised in these verses. God will deliver you out of the fowler's snare. Now, if you think about it, that means there is some time that we've already been spending in the fowler's snare. Or as we already said, this image of, of this wing covering us implies that we are in the storm, that we're in the trouble, but that we're being protected. When we're told that we don't need to fear the arrow or disease, that's not necessarily saying that we won't ever experience it. What, what is being promised? Well, two things. What is being promised is that whatever danger we find ourselves facing, God will always be present there with you. And he will always work in and through that so that it doesn't bring about your destruction, but it always, always brings about your ultimate good. I mean, this is what we memorized, if you remember, at the very beginning of this year, isn't it? If you were with us and we were looking at Heidelberg Catechism question, what is your one comfort in life and death? It's not, I get to live a life of security and ease. It's, I belong to Jesus, body and soul, and life and death. And you remember this line where it says, he watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head. So he's watching over me. He is there. He is present. And not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. All things must work for my salvation. That's the comfort. Everything is working for our good. We sing this whenever we sing the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. Do you remember these words? I think it's the second verse. When through the deep waters I call thee to go. This is God speaking to us. The rivers of woe shall not thee overflow. For I will be with thee. There's the promise of God's presence. Thy troubles to bless. Now there's a paradox. We have troubles. But God somehow blesses through them and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. In deep distress, we are made holy. In deepest distress, God works in our lives. So we don't need to fear. That's where the psalm takes us, and in case we miss it, then at the very end, we've heard this promise of protection at the beginning, but it also comes to us at the very end, except this time, rather than someone telling us this is what is true, do you notice it has quotes? Because this is actually God speaking these promises to you, because we need to hear them. And let me invite you, if you need something to just kind of be meditating on and thinking throughout these weeks, this, this coming week, spend time with just these verses and hear these promises again and again so they can anchor your soul. Verse 14, because he, the one who takes refuge in me, holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him 
because he knows my name. God is saying that to you. You, whatever situation you are in, however desperate it might feel, God will deliver you. He will protect you because you know his name. Verse 15, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. See, there's that, this is not, I will take him away from trouble, but I will be with him. I will be with you when you call to me. You might feel like God is far away right now, but when you call, he hears. And whether you sense him or not, he is present with you. I will rescue him and honor him, he says. Sometimes the great fear that we have is the failure and the shame, but God says, whatever shame you might find right now, I will lift you up. I will honor you. In verse 16, the culmination of these promises, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's the destination. That is the good that is being promised. It's a good that gets clearer and clearer throughout the Bible with with Jesus' death and resurrection as he conquers death. When we finally get this last moment in the Bible where Jesus has come again, we see what this long life and satisfaction is where we are told that though there are tears that we have shed, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and we will be satisfied and there will be no more sorrow and no more pain, and no more death. And we will be able to look back and say, God has been my refuge. Now the application of this psalm is is really clear. Perhaps you've noticed again and again, there's always kind of the, the if and the one who. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Verse 14, because he holds fast to me in love, because he knows my name, when he calls to me again and again, what the psalm is saying is turn away from your false refuges. There are places that we go. We asked before, where do you go to find safety? And some of those can be fine for temporary safety, but there is only one place that is an ultimate refuge that can protect you in everything. Turn to God for refuge. Call to him. Know his name. Say to him, you are my refuge, my fortress, my God, the one in whom I trust. Because the promise is for all. It doesn't matter your story. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong. It doesn't matter how foolish you've been or if it's your fault that you're in the situation you are right now. Whoever calls to God and says, you are my fortress, my refuge, will know that they have the protection of the Almighty God. So even now, I'd like to invite us to respond in that way. Wherever you are in this moment, I'd like to invite you to take a few minutes in your heart to recognize where you have falsely turned to wrong refuges instead of putting your hope in God and naming those things and call out to God and turn to him and say, you are my fortress, you are my refuge. And then I'll lead us in prayer after a time of silence. Let's spend some time in confession and prayer.
Father, you know our fear. And so much of our fear is because we look to the wrong places for refuge. We look to ourself and our desire to control. We look to escape to try to deal with our fear. But the only solution to our fear is you. And so, Lord, we do call out to you. We desire to put our trust in you and and name you as our fortress, our refuge, our God. And so we ask that you would forgive us for where we have wronged you looking elsewhere and that you would enable us to trust you more deeply. We call out to you knowing that you are a God who loves us and answers and forgives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hear the good news of the gospel before we do that. But let's stand to hear the good news of the gospel. Friends, 1 Peter 2 tells you, and hear this please, that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Hear the good news. Jesus was delivered to the cross so that he might be our refuge and fortress. In Christ, your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God.